You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. I'm Min. Brave New Words is brought to you by Starburst Magazine, The Wonky Spanner and Your Own Ears. You can find this anywhere where you can find good podcasts and you can also find this where you find bad podcasts. So don't listen to those. So, um, you can also catch us on uh, Twitter at Radio Bookworm. You should tweet us. You can find us on Instagram. Our Instagram is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, we also have other social media things, but I honestly don't understand how it works, because I've been trapped in a room full of books for the last 15 years. Uh, on today's show, we are going to be talking about... Say it again. We. Yep. By Yibi Zamatian. Zamiartan. Zamiartan. Yemingi Zamiartan. I can never be pronounce his word. You've been practising that for 15 minutes. <laughs> I have been practising that for 15 minutes. I always get his name wrong. I've been getting his name wrong for about 20 years, if not 30 odd years at this point. So, yeah. I'm very sorry and I would apologise to him, but he's very dead, so that's fine. Um, but before we, before we get on to anything else, let's go to a jingle. That was lovely. Wasn't that lovely? We do have a jingle exchange programme. It's a real thing. We are not making a joke. We do have a jingle exchange programme. Give us a jingle and we'll exchange a jingle for another jingle on the jingle exchange market or something. I'm Mm. still not sure how it works. It's an exchange rate. We are going to make a fortune, I'll tell you that. I've spent much of my adult life trying not to make a fortune, to be quite honest. But that's... <laughs> Paternity jokes. <laughs> I mean, a sad trombone noise. Just that. <laughs> what, 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 no, I can't no that's that. a, that's a, a, an upset duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, an upset duck. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, upset, uh, upset duck. Um, is it disco duck? The 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 Twitter thing. There's a thing about a duck. I'll get to it later. Um, anyway, I don't think you will. <laughs> is it Ed the duck? It's not. A, a, no. I'm not a duck. Ed the Duck was an amazing character from a nineteen uh, late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties kids TV. So. Mm-hmm. And there's Howard the Duck. Yeah. Howard the Duck. By Steve Gerber, who's amazing. Right. Okay. Lots of ducks. So lots of lots of. And uh, Duck Dodgers. Uh, yeah, he's not uh, the duck, though, is he? No, not really. Milkshake Duck is what I was thinking of. So there's a thing on Twitter which has got nothing to do with this book, but kind of we can swing it. Milkshake Duck is is an example of a meme going wrong. So Milkshake Duck appears on Twitter and everyone loves Milkshake Duck because he's a duck that does something cool with a milkshake. And then someone goes, "Oh no, Milkshake Duck is hates children," or Milkshake Duck is in some way nasty. And it turns out that Milkshake Duck is really not very nice, but everyone loves Milkshake Duck because of Milkshake Duck's funny Milkshake meme thing. And then everyone gets very disappointed that Milkshake Duck has, in fact, webbed feet of clay. So a Milkshake Duck is used as an example of a meme where you, you, you see someone something cute and adorable on, on, on Twitter or social media, and then someone goes, I hope they don't turn out to be a Milkshake Duck. Okay. Ah. So... Which is a nice way of saying it. I do hope I do hope they're as lovely as they appear on this particular thing that makes them look particularly. This lovely. snapshot of their their personality. I hope it goes through their entire personality and not just a tiny evil core. Yes, 
And it's that it's that it's that the green that psych, media cycle thing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a mess of commentary on media cycling, mm. um, which has got nothing to do with Zermatin's We, which is regarded as a classic piece of science fiction. I we have the Folio Society version. Uh, we often have the Folio Society version of these things because the Folio Society people are lovely, mm. and we do. I do a review for Starburst magazine, and it normally appears in the pages of the magazine and online, and they get very happy with that. And I get to read these classic books again and talk about them. Um, I'm going to pass this round. It's got a really little interesting slip case as well. Because what they've done is they've done like a lenticular thing with the slip case. So it looks like you're getting kind of absorbed into the, the page. But to explain what the book actually is. Right, so this book was written in 1921. Not that particular book itself, but this story was written in 1921. Um first published in 1924 uh, in New York for the English translation. Um, this book sent the author, uh, was banned in Russia essentially, and things did not work out very well for the author originally. Um, it's seen as the granddaddy of dystopian novels. Ross is currently trying to hypnotise me with the lenticular cover. Well, uh, it hypnotised me, and that's how it's, it's not spreading. just the fact that it's a lenticular cover, but the very act of drawing the book in or putting it back into the cover creates um, a fluctuating image of a head that's smaller than the one that's going in. It's I really th- beautiful. It's it's quite a psychedelic effect. I think if we can record that and it shows up, we'll put it on Instagram. Oh, Ooh. well, we'll give it a go. Yeah, um, I was video content. Yeah. I was looking at the cover and rereading it, and I was trying to work out how that particular effect related to it, and it doesn't really, except for the whole glass houses thing. So let me let me get to the point and explain the, the, the novel itself first. So it seems a forerunner to dystopian fiction. The plot, anyone who knows the plot of 1984 will recognise some of the major themes. So it's set in the future. Um, and there is an organisation called the One State, and the One State pretty much control everything. Mm-hmm. So we are we are now One State. Yes. Um, they're building a spaceship. There's the the big grand project is to build a space spaceship, and they've been building a spaceship for a very very long time, and a lot of people have been building this spaceship. What's the spaceship for? Uh, it's to take it's to take people to other worlds. It's to conquer extraterrestrial worlds. Okay. So it's a giant colony ship. Right. Um, it's called, uh, I think it's called the Integral. Yes, it's called the Integral. Uh, and it's, d- depending on how you translate the text and how you, you interpret the text, it's either a massive project that will go nowhere like the civilization is, mm-hmm. or they're just trying to spread their their concepts and ideas. Yes. I lean towards the, the, the latter because it's commentary on, on the, the dystopian nature of the state and the kind of jobs for people who are who need jobs sort of a thing. Yes. So is uh, this a new translation that differs from some of the older ones um, in any key ways? It's not particularly I didn't recognise it as a particularly new translation. It's a very good translation. Um, it's a very good uh, uh, put together translation. This particular version that the Folio Society do has an introduction from Ursula K. Le Guin, um, who knows a thing or two about science fiction. So and it's a really good intro, uh, introduction as well, and she nails it. She nails the the, the reason why it's there. 
the actual the little introduction is called the Stalin in the, in the Soul. This was written by a Russian in the 1920s. Mm. He knows a little bit about controlling dystopian states because he's living in one. Yeah. Um, so it's set in the future, and essentially uh, the kind of a controlling totalitarian state is taking over everything. And I don't just mean people. Mm-hmm. I mean what people are, the definition of being a person. So names are gone. The main character is the chief engineer of this, this, this ship, and it's his journal that you're kind of reading. It's called D-503. Which is a catchy name. Yeah, yeah. That, that rolls off the tongue. Um, he lives in a glass apartment. So the secret police bureau, who, who are called guardians, can see him. Even bathrooms. Yeah. He he lives he lives in a glass house. No yeah. one controls stones. Everyone lives in transparent see-through buildings. In nineteen eighty-four, that's turned at the cameras and surveillance. Um, so there's an illusion of privacy, but you know, it's very Russian. It's not yeah. very subtle. Mm-hmm. It's a glass house. Everyone can yeah. see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's a metaphor. Uh, love and relationships are also controlled by the state. So you uh, you have a mandated approved partner. Mm-hmm. You, you can have more than one partner. But they're, they're mandated and approved. Right. So you you have your you have your timetable your table. Yes. And when it is time for intimate relations, that's when you do your thing. So love has gone out the window then. There, there, there is. Ah, uh, you see. Ha. So. Much again. I'm. I'm going to try and. I'm going to compare it to 1984 because I think more people are familiar with 1984 than they are with we. Uh, but sex is very impersonal. Essentially, you have a sex with it. If you don't have sex, you make an arrangement to have sex, and then it happens. Um, D five or three meets a girl. This is this is similar to 1984. It's also similar to Fahrenheit four five one, which we talked about about recently on the show as well. Uh, meets a girl. The girl is called. I've got this all written down. I hyphen three three zero. She smokes. She drinks. Uh, she flirts. All of these things are are, are illegal, and um, and you know you you can get done for these things. Mm-hmm. Put away. Uh, and D five or three doesn't understand what's going on, but he right. basically falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um. And she invites him to the ancient house, which has which has a po- opaque walls. Ooh! It's a museum essentially. It's, yes. It 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 is it's a bureau, um, designed museum. Yeah. Um, and she's like, Look, we can spend more time together. I, I know this doctor that we can bribe. He can sign you off, and you can spend more. You have more free time. And he's like. That's, but that's not how we work. That's yeah. not what the table says. That's not what our our lives are structured. Our lives are structured and worked out by formula. Yes. This is not how we're supposed to behave. This is um, going into Lego territory, isn't it? You mm-hmm. will follow the instructions. You will buy the overpriced coffee. Lego, Lego is movie awesome. is, in fact, the most recent iteration of Way. <laughs> Way was definitely first. <laughs> And, and I would be completely stunned if the director behind Lego Movie hadn't at least studied this book, or at least knew about this book, because it is it is the template upon which um, a lot of dystopian dramas have been drawn. Mm-hmm. And there is there is the, the the slightly interesting girl in the Lego Movie, yes, who's different and rebellious, 
but the the genius, of course, in the Lego Movie is that the main character is 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 not really is utterly oblivious about most things from most of it, rather mm-hmm. than yeah, rather than having a little bit of spark of rebellion. It's somewhat the trope, though, because there's an awful lot of dystopian futures in which uh, a vision of a girl or a longing for a girl that may not exist is the reason for someone to to break out of their system. Because Brazil is the same. He's fantasizing about this ephemeral female, he finds someone that looks like her, or the, possibly the person that's been germinating these ideas, and that's his push into the surrealist thing that goes on in, in Brazil, if you haven't watched it, no spoilers. Finally, 451 has uh, Clarice in it as a character, and she's not a romantic character. Um, she's a young girl with a lot of dreams and ideas, and is very different, who clearly talks to people and reads and has depth to her life. And she's the one who turns up and goes, hey, there's more to, to living than just the machine that you're in. Mm-hmm. And that breaks the mould. And that's where all sorts going wrong in, in Power Night 451. Um, in, in this, again, it, it's I, 330, who really sounds like she should be an assassin in a Star Wars novel. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, 330, um, who slowly convinced D that he... Do, there's more to life. At the same time, there's a plot with Dee's partner, Dee's actual sanctioned partner, who they aren't allowed to have children because the state has decided that that would be a bad match. Yes. They don't want those genes. Mm-hmm. And she wants children. So there's a subplot where she gets she gets pregnant and yeah. there's a, they, they, they're trying to... They, they get involved with the rebels who are called Mephi, Mephi. And... And they're trying to they're trying to collapse the the one state and these yeah. people into because again there's another there's another there's another trope from here spot spot if you can recognise it mm-hmm. outside this massive walled city there is greenery and there is a world outside and it's probably going to eat you in five minutes but yeah. there there is a world outside that you can escape to have you ever suspected as I have that when they have that trope of oh my, we never knew how big the world was outside. It's because maybe 200 years in their past, they'd nearly destroyed the Earth, decided to contain humanity to let the Earth recover. They forgot about it briefly, and now that oh, well, we can go and spread. Great, we'll spread and pollute and grow, and we'll destroy the Earth until we need to be put back into our little reserves, and then we'll let it... So it'd be this horrible cycle of people. Yeah. It is a post-atomic thing. It is like, you know, the world has fallen apart. And been put back together, so there is an outside world or an idea of an outside world. But again, we, we go back to Logan's Run, yeah. Uh, and I keep saying we go back to. We did this first, yeah. We we. So we didn't. <laughs> so so we the post atomic setting prior prior to the atomic age. Sorry, it's a, it's a post. Yeah, good point. Um, it's it's a post apocalypse, post right. uh, disaster setting. Uh, but again, prior to the atomic age, but we would call it, I would call yeah. it now a post-atomic uh, setting, even yeah. though you can't call it that because they don't know about yeah. that when it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, yeah, it's post-end of the world. Yeah. Thank you. Something bad has happened. Something bad has happened. Uh, there has been a massive war that ha- there's been, truly there has been a war to end all wars. It was written in 19, 1921. So, yeah, yeah, war is probably quite firm in in uh, every Russian's mind right then. Technology has technology has made war a lot worse. Mm-hmm. 
so yes, a, a post 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 disaster, post catastrophe. Yeah. But um, yeah, again, can't use the word atomic because there is no atomic. It wasn't then, um, and it's broadly relevant. Um, I'm going to spoil how it ends because you can guess. Also, it's almost a hundred years old, so you know, get over, get over <laughs> it. Um, you've had your chance. You've had your chance. So you know how 1984 ends, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's not how the Lego movie ends. It's sort of it's. Uh, <laughs> well, there's no Michelangelo. <laughs> we we know how we we know how Brazil ends, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to guess how we end? <laughs> happy. Is it a really happy ending? Is there a wedding? Is Bells? it one that can possibly be taken both two two different ways? He, he he's invited to join the Tartar crew. Uh, no. Is he mentally broken and it all turns out to have been a horrible ploy or something or all fake or they operate on his brain and they turn him into what is described as a human tractor. They zombify him. They zombify him. Okay. Um essentially they, they, they nerve staple him. So um Oh the, the the same way so it's this is our new we can do this, like a, a small full frontal lobotomy. Bop and Bop. now we have a Member of society who will happily do minor me- menial tasks without causing any issue. Who won't cause any problems? Um, now I, I have horribly misinterpreted the thing you just said. As sorry, as a nerve tractor. Sorry, as a, it becomes a human tractor. He becomes a human tractor. Is this the origin of Thomas the Tank Engine? You know what? Seriously, it could very well be, but no. <laughs> well, oh, that's horrible. Thomas the Tank Engine is a post-atomic um, story, though. Yeah. 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 Terrifying, terrifying story of the end of the world. So, so what you're saying is that the 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 because I can't remember how they get from A to B. I think I think that's strange. Um, In Thomas the Tank Engine, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think There's a couple of buses and the helicopter, but mostly trains. I don't think that D five or three gets his entire face turned into an iron death mask, and then his soul trans transposed leech like onto a steam train. It's not uh, in the book. That's not in the book. It might right. be in the fan fiction if you it want. Maybe heavily implied, but but then you know we know that Thomas the Tank Engine was based on Wii, so Thomas himself is simply a metaphor for the fact that these free-flowing <laughs> spirits have actually were once full human beings with their own plans who've been manipulated by the Fat, fat Controllers, control. who is Sir Topham Hat now. We're not allowed to call him the Fat Controller anymore. Um, the chap who Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, Dorian, the, the big blue alien guy who ends up just as a head. Yes, yes. Um, the actor who plays Simon that. Simon something. Uh, yes, yeah, Simon. You've interviewed him. Yeah, I've, 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 I've interviewed him a couple of times, yeah. actually. Um, but yes, uh, he, he used to be the fat controller. Yeah. Because his, his unique selling point as an actor is that he's incredible size. And he's quite controlling. And he's, he's quite a lovely, he's a very yeah. lovely man. And he's much more athletic than you think he is, despite the mm. fact that he is a very large man. Sprightly. He's very sprightly. Uh, but that's because that's his physical form as part of yeah. his, his selling point. Yeah. Who he is as an actor. Um, but yes, so I've met the fat controller. He was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't talk to him too much about trains. Mostly talked about sci-fi. Uh, he does a thing called My Dalek's Got the Puncture. That's why it's too funny. It's talking right. about it. Uh, but yes, um, so where was I? D gets x rayed, his brain gets minced. Um, I, 330, um, 
basically run, they, they sort of run away, they kind of get caught, they, they they don't have a happy ending. Yes. It does sort of have a happy ending in the sense that the, the Mephi rebel and there's a rebellion going on at mm-hmm. the time. Um, we don't know what happens to... There's no final revolution, so there's no end of this state. Yes. But conflict. Birds start appearing in the, the city. Um, things from the outside start invading from the city. And yes. it's things like greenery, vines. As as the, the Mephi start to, to rebel, uh, nature starts to reclaim the one state. There's no real... There is no real kind of ending in the sense that it's like, and then they all, you know, and then they all lived in misery, or you know, one plus one equals question mark, or a shot of you know a man in a giant machine. You can imagine it read good reading in Mega City One where they go, no, this is what they did wrong. Mm. Mm. But then books like this aren't really; they never have an end because they're a commentary on the way the world is going. I think it's always meant to represent that this will be an ongoing fight, and we have to be vigilant of the past and of the present to ensure that that isn't our future. So if they, if they ever had, uh, and you know what, the rebels, the spunky rebels won. And, and this is why it's not been turned into a movie. Except it sort of has, because it's also the movie THX 1138 is inspired by Wii, mm. uh, which of course is one of George Lucas's early movies. I'm saying, now that really does sound like a, an assassin in a Star Wars novel. Because, yeah. because exactly, but... THX 1138 is inspired by Wii. Uh, 1984 and everything that 1984 inspired is inspired by Wii. And we can sit there and you can you can be really mean to George Orwell and I've spent most yeah. of my career doing that. So let's go again. Um, <laughs> he, he's also dead though, so I don't think he, he'll mind. He, he's also dead. I'm a massive fan of George Orwell. Yeah. I love his journalism. Um, I love his writing. Some of his stuff gen- genuinely stirs me on, on the 10th reading. But at the same time... Oh my goodness, George, just smile and have a pint. For the love of everything that's holy, just cheer up, George. So the pacing, even though it's translation, the pacing of Wii is faster. The the style of Wii is faster. Yeah. Um, 1984 takes its time, bimbles around, talks about language and structure. 1984 in many ways is a better book because it talks about the reasons behind these things happen. It mm-hmm. talks about how human beings can condition to accept this sort of thing. Um, 1984 can also be described as a worse book uh, because the Julia, the, the, the female protagonist, the, the girl who inspires everything and makes all the change, is th- there's nothing to Julia. Yes. She's not interesting. She's, mm-hmm. She turns up, she, she has sex... She swears a lot, a bit. She catches Winston's eye and inspires Winston to, you know, if we turn this into a, in, into a, a an indie movie from the noughties, mm-hmm. then Julia suddenly becomes like this this whimsical nut nut job, a cipher inspiring girl, and he's the young struggling artist, yeah. which again is rubbish. Whereas in we that all the characters matter, all yes. the characters you actually care, all the characters are people. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way, with with nineteen eighty four, the misery you feel as a reader having to get through all of that, and sometimes the really mundane aspects of their their relationships, their conversations, which can be very, oh my gosh. But but you understand their misery because you have to live through it for a few thousand pages. That's <laughs> <a good way> to, <laughs> this is usually a way to make me put the book down. 
no, you yeah, find something happier to do. I would always recommend reading 1984, and I like the the toughness of it sometimes. The, but there is a bit where I believe there's something like eight pages of them talking about pints and metric. There's a, he yeah. meets an old man in the pub, uh, an old pro in the pub, who whinges on about. Uh, how the old system was better than the new system, mm-hmm. and it's a metaphor for you know it's an examination of how things don't really change and how your childhood always seems better when it's you mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And he's dis- described as a crumbling old relic, essentially. The guy's falling apart, yeah. and what he's seeing is sort of nonsense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really, it, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, all the other things that have happened in the world make the for much yeah. more important. But the thing this guy's laser focused on yeah. is the fact that he seems to have two millilitres less in his pint. <laughs> what, you mean the way every Easter we go on about, oh, I know there's all terrible things happening all over the world, but I'm sure the Cadbury's cream egg has got a little bit smaller. I'm positive about that. And these biscuit tins, we do fixate on those things because they affect us. And as long as you can keep a few minor comforts, you often don't mind if the world is falling down around you. So for him, it's his pint. For us, there'll be a point at which, if we can't get our biscuits at less than a pound, we'll be... That, ha, that's have you seen the total around? Oh, my word. Oh, I know. Just massive spaces. But that's how it happens with this massive world. Apparently, wagon uh, wheels haven't changed in size. No, we have. Yeah, we used to be a lot smaller. Hmm. OK. But, but I was always this tall. I was hatched. Well, I was. Are you from Planet Orc? No, because I'm not green. No, well, Mork wasn't green. Oh, those orcs. Yeah. Yes, no. Um, the orc. Oh, I might have got the name wrong. No, Mork from Orc. No, no, I'm just being facetious. It's fine. Okay. Mork was that. Mm, I'm pretty sure. I thought that was his spaceship. No, no. Well, there was an exit. He was also he was hatched, and then they get smaller as they. The race was. Born fully grown, and then they shrink it as they go. They which is why, which is why children portray the adults, and an actor about twenty years older than Robin Williams played his son. Like the Fabio family, family from Nightbreed or Cabal by Clive Barker. Sorry, that was a cat jumping on some wine bottles. We have, <laughs> we have a cat, cat and wine bottles in the book nook. We have a cat, wine bottles. Well, we have to drink something. Um, I'm not drinking the cat. <laughs> This is a fabulous bouquet. How did you get the cat to sit on the bottle? <laughs> Lots of... Well, well, it's, it's better than when you're the poet, let's be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yes, so we... Um, should you buy the lovely Folio Society edition? Yes. Because yes. Uh, it's lovely and, lo- lovely on the shelf. Should you read Wii? Yes. Can you get a copy pretty much anywhere? Yeah, you can pick up a copy of Wii or an audio version of Wii pretty much anywhere. It's almost 100 years old. Um, if you have read it... And you want a copy, you get the Folio Society version because yeah. it's lovely and it's got a really good introduction. It's beautiful. Um, and the, the, this animation effect on the front cover will keep you entertained for hours. I, I'm, I'm thinking more of the Isla Le Guin because she nails it. I mean, I mean, you wouldn't expect her not to because it's Isla Le Guin and she knows what she's talking about and she was a genius and she'll be greatly missed and all the rest of it. And it's a nice introduction. I have read some absolutely rubbish introductions to Wii in the past. I was introduced to Wii through 1984. 1984 was one of my GCSE books that I had to. I actually, I really adored, adored 1984 despite the fact that I was 14. Because I, I was that sort of a teenager. Mm. Um, and I read, read Wii almost straight away. Um, 
and then wrote my essays about 1984 from the point of view of Wei and then got accused of cheating because like you can't have you can't have read I was like no like I didn't read the Russian version because don't read Russian still don't yeah. but um, so it was accessible to me as a 14 year old but I'm weird and um, is it accessible yes actually it's surprisingly well written for what it is I think you'll find it is old and you'll find the, the style sometimes a bit brutal and simplistic um, but that's fine because that's kind of what you want it's also proper science fiction it's got a spaceship in it and everything can today's teenagers who are setting themselves apart from others at their school by carrying around books larger than themselves and worrying about the situation of the planet is it accessible for them you said you were exceptional but 1984 is a bit Oh, I, I wouldn't claim to be exceptional. Yeah, he said he was weird. He didn't say he was exceptional. <laughs> no, but I mean, because um, you got through 1984, is this an easier read for someone who wants to get into that kind of genre? If if you if you've been fine with 1984, you'll have no problem with we. If you've been avoiding 1984, but you want to read something like it, um, read Fahrenheit 451. Okay. To be honest, uh, if you want to if you want to go there, but don't want to go there. Fahrenheit 451 is Ray Bradbury, who's a better storyteller, um, to be blunt. Um, however, also the Folio Society version, do a version of 451 as well, which is also lovely, which we talked about on the show. He said, beautiful. we're not sponsored by the Folio Society, we just really like their books. Yes, they're amazing. Well, they do the Society. They're beautiful. They do send us books. Yes, well, lots of people send us books, but they have really pretty ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Other people, make your book prettier. <laughs> I'll just bribe me. I don't just bribe me. You can't just judge a book by its cover, Ross. Uh, we can, have, can we have, have, we have recorded multiple episodes with this theme, <laughs> including our first episode of Brave New Words. For anyone who's been wondering, uh, though, it, this is we spelt W-E, just to make sure there's no mistakes. It's nothing else. It is we, W-E, and yes, of, you and I. Yeah, I, I like of, the bowling version of this. It's very good. <laughs> and for the sake of RJ Parker, there's no on we involved, or there may be. But... Well, if you sit on it, then it becomes on we. Yes. If you read it, you might get on me because it's not very cheerful. And also for Ajay Baka, there's there's no uh, COVID on the front cover either. So you're in the same boat as this guy. He's, you, you know, good good club. There's the thing is, it has inspired an awful lot of dystopian stuff and works all the way through, and it's that bleak cities and that grey sky and the, you know the glass houses and everyone being treated as a robot and that that tractor in human form. And this sort of the wisdom of elders, but the elders aren't really wise. They're they're also following a formula, if you see what I mean. And everyone is afraid. And this is one of the things that's obvious in 1984, and it's obvious in we, and it's obvious in the Lego Movie, uh, is that everyone is afraid. Everyone is scared of something. Um, I don't know. I think in the Lego Movie, they all not so much they're afraid, but they're certainly weirded out by the guy who's fully behind it all. So. Yeah, they're at a distance from it because the guy who fullest fully encompasses it all, they're all like, "No, he's weird." If you if you pause the Lego movie, you know at the very start when mm-hmm. he's they're going through the city, mm-hmm. look at the rules because there's rules everywhere. Oh, right. You will be happy as a rule, isn't it? You will be happy. Um, go to bed on time. Brush your teeth. They're all rules that adults would give children, and they're everywhere. They're on they're on yeah. banners all over the place because this is a child's world. Mm-hmm. But this is also a child's dystopian world, um, and it, it it is that thing where you you watch the Lego movie and you go, "Oh, it's so true," and you sit there going, 
It's a maybe dystopian world. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's, it's the thing that there's glass houses in this. It, it's science fiction because it's got a spaceship and the building's called the spaceship and they've got nerve stapling and this sort of thing. But they don't have... Um, they don't have cameras. They don't have that kind of technology. They yeah. don't have... They don't have the atomic devastation, despite the fact describing it as an atomic... Yeah. They don't have atomic devastation. All those things would come later. And yet the thing that feels the most science fiction about it is the fact that they're building a very big spaceship. Hmm. Um, it's it 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 it's vital as a as a novel. If you want if you want to be writing dystopian science fiction, you should read this book. Yes. Um, if you want to seriously talk about dystopian science fiction, you should read this book. Should you compare it to nineteen eighty four? You really you shouldn't. But you have to. Yeah. Uh, because nineteen eighty four is so well known. What's more fun, and I'll do this when we get round to doing that book, is Claire North's 84K, mm-hmm. which is Claire North's new novel. Yes. And she... 84K is not 1984. It's not a redo of 1984. But it, it's a similar world in the fact that you have this guy who, you know, has a life and he's a bit boring and he just gets on with his things and then suddenly the world... He realises the world is awful... And dystopian in eighty four K it's dystopian because yeah. you have to pay for justice. Mm-hmm. You can pay your way out of justice. So you can punch an old lady and then because the old lady is an old lady who isn't worth much to the state, you get a smaller fine than if you punched an MP. Oh what, you you mean not unlike the system we currently kind of have today. <laughs> if you steal a hundred quid you can go to prison for twenty years, but if you steal a hundred million quid you can probably get a small fine and change your company name. Probably a hundred quid. It, it, it's it's a meta commentary on, on the state of the world today is eighty four K in the same way that nineteen eighty four is a state and state a meta commentary on nineteen forty eight and we is a meta commentary on that's probably why it's good to to read all of them because as time changes and as uh, modern technology changes our views of what or how this post-apocalyptic world is going to come across is going to come about changes but there's always those integral aspects of control, personality always being taken away and um, a simplification of life, but by stripping away all the fun parts rather than anything else, rather than just making it more efficient, it's efficient to the letter by stripping away the fun. It's always good to read the different types of books because certain things change depending on the technology available and how we think the apocalypse is going to come about and how we think it's going to physically change the world. It might be glass houses or it might just be um, a constant television being on or not having any access to television but it'll always have the same themes of isolation, depersonalisation, etc. I, I do love that um, Amazon have recently launched their little television screen thing. Very quietly, they've launched a television screen. Oh, like the, the Alexa with the visual thing? The Alexa screen, screen yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, one, of the co- one of the comments that keeps getting removed is, can you, can you turn it off? If you turn it down, does the full screen turn off? Because in 1984 you can never yeah. turn the television off. Yeah. It's always... Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, it's kind of interesting that... The computer it, is your friend, Ed. The computer is my friend? Your friend. I, I want to please friend computer. <laughs> have we ever actually talked about it? I don't think we've actually talked about paranoia on the show. We must have. You can't talk... Paranoia. You're not allowed to know the rules, certainly, <laughs> no. but you, you you can talk about it. The pa- paranoia is real. It is. So paranoia is actually responsible for me reading Wii. Oh. Sort of. 
Because Paranoia is a role-playing game uh, produced in the 80s. Yeah. And which is meant to be THX 1138 1984, the role-playing game. And you think, that sounds awful, that's why on earth would you want to play a game where you live in a dystopian society and your life is awful? Well, it, it helps if I explain it, it's a comedy. Um, and the idea is that you're a clone and you have one of many clones and there is, you, you live in a nuclear bunker with your other fellow clones and you're desperately trying to avoid being exterminated by the computer for its arbitrary rules. Um, and I remember, Ed, Ed, you're definitely trying to please the computer because the computer is your friend. Yes, and right. happiness is mandatory. And if you don't, if you if you don't obey the rules, it'll execute you. Mm-hmm. So there's this great picture in the out the, the very first rule book of yes. lots of people with these fixed smiling faces mm. with grim-looking guards of the words happiness is mandatory. Yes, uh, and it's it's comedy. It really is. Mm. Uh, but I remember as a kid picking it up for two pound two pounds of my pocket money, along with Rune Quest and I think the Judge Dredd role playing game because I'm British and we do fun differently um, <laughs> and, and asking if I could run, run this game at mm-hmm. school because we've been running Dungeons and Dragons for a while yes. and I had to teach, check with the teachers to make sure that I wasn't starting a cult um, so, <laughs> you were <laughs> so, so I, I, I hand it there and on the back cover it says um, a comedy game inspired by the fans of Orwell Zamatean um and, and so on, and, and, and Stalin, I think, is the good, good, list a whole load of yeah. dystopian fiction authors, including Orwell and Zamatea. And Stalin? And, and then Stalin at the end. And I remember a teacher going, do you know who any of these people are? And I was like, yes, I do. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this. And I was like, yeah, no, you can run it. Yeah. And that was that conversation. You know, do you know what you do? No, but I can pretend I can. Um, is it a sad commentary on, on us as a group that one of the first things that we started to do is you can try and be cooperative about and, and fulfil your desires to please friend computer or you can spend an awful lot of time trying to make sure your friends get in trouble so you look like a paradigm of the virtue well that's the entire thing in most dystopian futures there's only a certain amount of happiness to go around so you have to hurt other people who don't deserve it but they're, they're not you and your life is more important the interesting thing about we actually is it's one of those dystopias because we touched on this on the show in the past as well. It's one of those dystopias where it's anti-utopian rather than dystopian because the key to any dystopia is it's someone's utopia. Mm-hmm. No one is having a good time in we. <laughs> no one is having a good time. Maybe, maybe you know, it's maybe the rebels. I am. Maybe the rebels. Maybe I is. Uh, she's sort of having a good time, but she's also trying not to be dead. So, you know, no one's really having fun. Yes. Um, it's not a nice place. There, there is no place where someone is sitting back chilling. Um, whereas in quite a few of the kind of the more popular young adult dystopian fictions, um, President Snow, for example, yes, exactly. is definitely having a good time. There mm-hmm. is the man somewhere up there at the top that's gaining from it. President Snow, of course, who uh, wrote the X Files tune. Yes. Um, linking back to a previous show. Linking oh, we still back to actually, a previous show. We still haven't actually explained that joke. Is nope, and I don't think we ever will. Because so. that's what we do with people like Snow. 
But yes, um, Paranoia, by the way, is a game that we have played. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do it. We do. I'm going to plug a thing. We do a games podcast called Force Majeure. It's Star Wars. You can't find it via, find it via Star Starburst. Uh, you can find it via the same sort of places that you find this podcast. Though mm-hmm. uh, we might get around to doing Paranoia. Yeah, I, I think I can run a paranoia for us. I mean, we're currently doing a lot of Star Wars, which is definitely not dystopian fiction, but it all loops around. So the thing Are about, you kidding me? The thing about paranoia is, whilst you're playing it, it's hilarious. You just can't stop laughing. I'm not sure if, from an outside perspective, it's funny, but we'll, we'll, see, we'll, how see. we'll see how it works. From an outside perspective, when there's things like, you know your friend will get electrocuted to death for not having their broom. Well, that's funny. So you right have that. stolen their broom... Not because you need another broom, or even to make sure you have a spare, because it's clearly dangerous to be without one, but just because it will make me look good if I point out that that guy should die. I've got his broom. Yeah, yeah, there is comedy right there. By a total total aside, though, you make an interesting point, again, about we, in the fact that, of course, there's Catch-22, which is lumped in with 1984, Mm -hmm. and it's lumped in with we, and Catch-22 is World War II, and it's a commentary about how insane war is mm. as a concept mm-hmm. um, and there is no humour in Wii and it's worth pointing out that it's not a funny book um, whereas Catch-22 drives humour from the, the tragedy of the human condition the, the because because the Guardians have removed the concept of the human condition from the human state to create the one state there's no none of that's there if you see what I mean so it's not, it, it's definitely not a laugh riot. It's also pretty much novelised, it's worth pointing out as well. Mm. It won't take you very long to read it. It'll take you longer than you'd expect, because it's quite a dense novel, even though it's quite a short novel. Um, I, I, I broadly find there's this three camps. There's people who, who try and read that, don't get on with it and stop. Um, there's the, the illustrations are gorgeous. Yes, I've just found some of them there, beautiful. Um, there's people who engage uh, engage with the the, the the story but they kind of with the story and yeah. yet the the think nineteen eighty four is better because there's more to nineteen eighty four and there's more crunch to nineteen eighty four and there's people who engage with the story and think that that's far superior to nineteen eighty four because there's because it's kind of it's the progenitor and it's the the more purest version of the story. I'm not on either side of those. I'm going to be really awkward and just basically say I like it for what it is. Um, it's been done better since, um, and I think I don't think that's unfair. But for mm. what it is, and for what it is as classic science fiction, it is a milestone. And if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna talk about down the line wine, or you're gonna talk about uh, any Highland, if you're gonna talk about the Sentinel, Sentinel from Asimov. If you want to talk about all of those stories, seriously, this is a this is one to go on your shelf. This is something that you need to at least consider as a book to read. Um, and yeah, it's an ancient Russian text. Yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no getting uh, uh, past it. But it's also uh, the the granddaddy of this sort of nonsense. Does it still have relevance today? Though? Yeah, it still resonates. Mm. It's still Maybe resonates. Particularly with what's going on at the moment. Um, to be honest, the, 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 I call it a subplot, but it's not really the story about someone who just wants to have a child. There's a story in there where someone, you know, they're all people at the end of the day. One of them just wants to have fun. One of them just wants to have a child. 
bombs for something that isn't building a spaceship. I mean, the the author was the the author was an arch, uh, naval architect who worked on battleships. Yes, and he, he must have found that to be complete drudgery. Because the the way it's described is it's not fun. Um, but I, I'm firmly in the camp that the spaceship's not going anywhere. By the way, there, there is no future in that world. It's busy work. It's busy work. Yeah. It's almost um, an, a before it happened look, a preemptive look at the space race. Because they, they did spend a lot of time with things that didn't go anywhere, that weren't going to be successful, but they had to be done because the Americans were going to be doing it. Well, Russians invented the concept of space travel and rocketry. Um, but that's a different conversation. Mm. And if you disagree with me, you can catch us at, at Radio Bookworm. Personally, I'm at Ed underscore Fortune, if you want to uh, insult me on there. I cheerfully talk about the history of space science uh, and s- space exploration, which is an aside point t- to we. But yeah, as a, as, a, as a place to start both the space race and also as a place to start the discussion about the consequences of technology and the human condition, we look to Russia, um, yeah. and it is very Russian. Uh, should you read it? Yes. I think on this note, um, any questions? How do we get out of here? We haven't worked that out for about 40 shows. How did you get in here? I don't know. Well, let's turn back the way we came and we'll follow you. Okay. That's totally going to work. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye! Bye.